Chapter Twenty One of The Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty One One of San Sousi's Tricks. San Sousi stood before the parlor mirror, gazing into it, seeing, not the reflected image of her own elfish figure, or pretty witching face, with its round, polished forehead, its mocking eyes, its sunny dancing curls, its piquant little nose, or petulant little lips, but contemplating, as through a magic glass, far down the vista of her childhood. Childhood scarcely passed, yet in its strong contrast to the present, seeming so distant, dim, and unreal, that her reminiscence of its days resembled more a vague dream of a pre-existence than a rational recollection of a part of her actual life on earth. Poor Jacka was wondering, If I be I. Grim sat in a leathern chair, at the farthest extremity of the room, occupied with holding a book, but reading Jacquelina. Suddenly he broke into her brown study by exclaiming, I should like to know what you are doing, and how long you intend to remain standing before that glass. Oh, indeed, should you? mocked Jacko, startled out of her reverie, yet instantly remembering to be provoking. "'What were you doing, and looking at myself in the glass, to be sure?' "'Don't cut off my question, if you please. I was going on to inquire of what you were thinking so profoundly. And madam, or miss—' "'Madam, if you please, the dear knows I paid heavy enough for my new dignity, and don't intend to abate one degree of it. So if you call me miss again, I'll get someone who loves me to call you out.' "'Besides, I'd have you to know, I'm very proud of it. Ain't you, too?' "'Say, Grim, ain't you a proud and happy man to be married?' asked Jacko tauntingly. "'You jibe. You do so with a purpose. But it shall not avail you. I demand to know the subject of your thoughts as you stood before that mirror.' Now, none but a half-madman like Grim would have gravely made such a demand, or exposed himself to such a rebuff as it deserved. Jacko looked at him quizzically. "'Hm,' she answered demurely. "'I'm sure I'm so awe-stricken, your worship, "'that I can scarcely find the use of my tongue "'to obey your reverence. "'I hope your excellency won't be offended with me. "'But I was wondering in general "'whether the Lord really did make all the people upon earth, "'and in particular, whether he made you, "'and if so, for what inscrutable reason he did it. "'You are an impertinent minion. "'But by the saints I will have an answer to my question.' and know what you were thinking of while gazing in that mirror. Sorry the first explanation didn't please your eminence. But now, honor bright, I'll tell you truly what I was thinking of. I was thinking, thinking how excessively pretty I am. Now tell the truth and shame the old gentleman. Did you ever, in all your life, see such a beautiful, bewitching, tantalizing, ensnaring face as mine is? I think I never saw such a fool— "'Really? Then your holiness never looked at yourself in a mirror, never beheld your natural face in a glass, never saw what manner of man you are.' "'By St. Peter, I will not be insulted and dishonored and defied in this outrageous manner. I swear I will have your thoughts if I have to pluck them from your heart.' "'Phew! Well, if I didn't always think thought was free, may I never be an interesting young widow and captivate Thurston Wilcoxon.' "'You impudent, audacious, abandoned! "'Ching-a-ring-a-ring-chum-choo, and a high-a-ring-tum-lark-ee!' "'sang the elf, 
dancing about, seizing the bellows and flourishing it over her head like a tambourine as she danced. "'Be still, you termagant! Be still, you lunatic, or I'll have you put in a straitjacket!' cried the exasperated professor. "'Poor fellow!' said Jacko, dropping the bellows and sidling up to him in a wheedling, mock-sympathetic manner. "'P-O-O-R-F-E-L-L-O-W. Don't get excited and go into the high strikes. You can't help it if you're ugly and repulsive as time in the primer, any more than Thurston Wilcoxon can help being handsome and attractive as Magnus Apollo.' "'It was of him, then, you were thinking, Minion. I knew it! I knew it!' exclaimed the professor, starting up, throwing down his book and pacing the floor. "'Bear it like a man,' said Jacko, with solemnity. "'You admit it, then, you—you—you—unprincipled female. There, I have helped you to the words. And now, if you will be melodramatic, you should grip up your hair with both hands, and stride up and down the floor, and vociferate, confusion, distraction, perdition, or any other awful words you can think of. That's the way they do it in the plays. Madam, your impertinence is growing beyond sufferance. I cannot endure it. That's a mighty great pity now, for you can't cure it. St. Mary, I will bear this no longer. Then I'm afraid you'll have to emigrate. I'll commit suicide. That's you. Do. I should like very well to wear bombazine this cold weather. Please do it at once, too, if you're going to, for I should rather be out of deep mourning by midsummer. By heaven I will pay you for this. Any time at your convenience, Dr. Grimshaw, and I shall be ready to give you a receipt in full upon the spot, said the elf, rising. Anything else in my line this morning, Dr. Grimshaw? Give me a call when you come my way. I shall be much obliged for your patronage, she continued, curtsying and dancing off toward the door. By the way, my dear sir, there is a lecture to be delivered this evening by our gifted young fellow-citizen, Mr. Thurston Wilcoxon. Going to hear him. I am. Good day, she said, and kissed her hand and vanished. Grimm was going crazy. Everybody said it, and what everybody says has ever been universally received as indisputable testimony. Many people, indeed, averred that Grimm never had been quite right, that he always had been queer, and that since his mad marriage with that flighty bit of a child, Jacquelina, he had been queerer than ever. He would have been glad to prevent Jacquelina from going to the lecture upon the evening in question, but there was no reasonable excuse for doing so. Everybody went to the lectures, which were very popular. Mrs. Waugh made a point of being punctually present at every one, and she took charge of Jacquelina whenever the whim of the latter induced her to go, which was as often as she secretly wished to annoy Grimm, and, in fact, to plague the ogre was her only motive in being present, for truth to tell, the elf cared very little either for the lecturer or his subjects, and usually spent the whole evening in yawning behind her pocket-handkerchief. Upon this evening, however, the lecture fixed even the flighty fancy of Jacquelina, as she sat upon the front seat between Mrs. Waugh and Dr. Grimshaw. Jacquelina was magnetized, and scarcely took her eyes from the speaker during the whole of the discourse. Mrs. Waugh was also too much interested to notice her companions. Grimm was agonized. The result of the whole of which was, that after they all got home, Dr. Grimshaw, to use a common but graphic phrase, put his foot down, upon the resolution to prevent Jacquelina's future attendance at the lectures. Whether he would have succeeded in keeping her away is very doubtful, had not a remarkably inclement season of weather set in, and lasted a fortnight, leaving the roads nearly impassable for two other weeks. And just as travelling was getting to be possible, Thurston Wilcoxon was called to Baltimore, 
on his grandfather's business, and was absent a fortnight. So altogether six weeks had passed without Jacquelina's finding an opportunity to defy Dr. Grimshaw by attending the lectures against his consent. At the end of that time, on Sunday morning, it was announced from the church that Mr. Wilcoxon, having returned to the county, would resume his lectures on the Wednesday evening following. Dr. Grimshaw looked at Jacquelina to note how she would receive this news. Poor Jacko had been under Marian's good influences for the week previous, and was, in her fitful and uncertain way, trying to be good. "'As an experiment to please you, Marian,' she said, "'and to see how it will answer.' Poor Elf! So she called up no false provoking smile of joy to drive Grim frantic, but heard the news of Thurston's arrival with the outward calmness that was perfectly true to the perfect inward indifference. "'She has grown guarded. That is a very bad sign. I shall watch her closer.' muttered Grimm behind his closed teeth. And when the professor went home that day, his keen, pallid face was frightful to look upon, and many were the comments made by the dispersing congregation. From that Sunday to the following Wednesday, not one word was spoken of Thurston Wilcoxon or his lecture, but on Wednesday morning, Dr. Grimshaw entered the parlor, where Jacquelina lingered alone, gazing out of the window, and going up to her side, astonished her beyond measure by speaking in a calm, kind tone, and saying, Jacquelina, you have been too much confined in the house lately. You are languid. You must go out more. Mr. Wilcoxon lectures this evening. Perhaps you would like to hear him. If so, I withdraw my former prohibition, which was perhaps too harsh, and I beg you will follow your own inclinations, if they lead you to go. You should have seen Jacko's eyes and eyebrows. The former were dilated to their utmost capacity, while the latter were elevated to their highest altitude. The professor's eyebrows were knotted together, and his eyes sought the ground as he continued. I myself have an engagement at Leonardtown this afternoon, which will detain me all night, and therefore shall not be able to escort you. But Mrs. Waugh, who is going, will doubtless take you under her charge. Would you like to go? I had already intended to go, replied Jacquelina, without relaxing a muscle of her face. The professor nodded and left the room. Soon after, Jacquelina sought her auntie, whom she found in the pantry mixing mincemeat. I say, Auntie. Well, Lapwing? When Satan turns saint, suspicion is safe, is it not? What do you mean, Lapwing? Why, just now the professor came to me, politely apologized for his late rudeness, and proposed that I should go with you to hear Mr. Wilcoxon's lecture, while he, the professor, goes to Leonardtown to fulfill an engagement. I say, Auntie, I sniff a plot, don't you? I don't know what to make of it, Lapwing. Are you going? Of course I am. I always intended to. No more was said at the time. Immediately after dinner, Dr. Grimshaw ordered his horse, and saying that he was going to Leonardtown, and should not be back to the next day, set forth. And after an early tea, Mrs. Waugh and Jacquelina set out in the family sleigh. A swift run over the hard-frozen snow brought them to the old fields, where they stopped a moment to pick up Marion, and then shooting forward at the same rate of speed, they reached the lecture-room in full time. Jacquelina was perhaps the very least enchanted of all his hearers, she was, in fact, an exception, and found the discourse so entirely uninteresting that it was with difficulty she could refrain from yawning in the face of the orator. Mrs. Waugh also, perhaps, was but half mesmerized, for her eyes would cautiously wander from the lecturer's pulpit to the side window on her right hand. At length she stooped and whispered to Jacquelina, "'Child, be cautious. Dr. Grimshaw is on the ground. I have seen his face rise up to that lower pane of glass at the corner of that window.' several times. He must be crouched down on the outside. 
Jacquelina gave a little start of surprise. Her face underwent many phases of expression. She glanced furtively at the indicated window, and there she saw a pale, wild face gleam for an instant against the glass, and then drop. She nodded her head quickly, muttering, "'Oh, I'll pay him!' "'Don't, child. Don't do anything imprudent, for gracious sake. That man is crazy. Anyone can see he is. Oh, Auntie, I'll be sure to pay him. He shan't be in my debt much longer.' "'Soft, Auntie, don't look toward the window again. "'Don't let him perceive that we see him or suspect him, "'and then you'll see what you'll see. "'I have a counterplot.' "'This last sentence was muttered to herself by Jacquelina, "'who thereupon straightened herself up, "'looked the lecturer in the eyes, "'and gave her undevoted attention to him "'during the rest of the evening. "'There was not a more appreciating and admiring hearer "'in the room than Jacquelina affected to be. "'Her face was radiant, her eyes starry, her cheeks flushed, her pretty lips glowing breathlessly apart, her whole form instinct with enthusiasm. Anyone might have thought the little creature bewitched. But the fascinating orator need not have flattered himself, had he but known it. Jacquelina neither saw his face nor heard his words. She was seeing pictures of Grimm's bitter jealousy, mortification and rage, as he beheld her from his covert. She was rehearsing scenes of what she meant to do to him. And when at last she forgot herself, and clapped her hand enthusiastically— it was not at the glorious peroration of the orator, but at the perfection of her own little plot. When the lecturer had finished, and as usual announced the subject and the time of the next lecture, Jacquelina, instead of rising with the mass of the audience, showed a disposition to retain her seat. "'Come, my dear, I am going,' said Mrs. Waugh. "'Wait, Auntie, I don't like to go in a crowd.' Mrs. Waugh waited, while the people pressed toward the outer doors. "'I wonder whether the professor will wait and join us when we return home,' said Mrs. Waugh. "'We shall see,' said Jacquelina. "'I wish he may. I believe he will. I am prepared for such an emergency.' In the meantime, Thurston Wilcoxon had descended from the platform, and was shaking hands right and left with the few people who had lingered to speak to him. Then he approached Mrs. Waugh's party, bowed, and afterward shook hands with each member of it, only retaining Marian's hand the fraction of a minute longest— and giving it an earnest pressure in relinquishing it. Then he inquired after the health of the family at Lucknow, commented upon the weather, the state of the crops, etc., and with a valedictory bow withdrew, and followed the retreating crowd. "'I think we can also go now,' said Mrs. Waugh. "'Yes,' said Jacquelina, rising. Upon reaching the outside they found old Oliver, with the sleigh drawn up to receive them. Jacquelina looked all around, to see if she could discover Thurston Wilcoxon on the grounds, and not seeing him anywhere, she persuaded herself that he must have hastened home. But she saw Dr. Grimshaw, recognized him, and at the same time could but notice the strong resemblance in form and manner that he bore to Thurston Wilcoxon, when it was too dark to notice the striking difference in complexion and expression. Dr. Grimshaw approached her, keeping his cloak partially lifted to his face, as if to defend it from the wind, but probably to conceal it. Then the evil spirit entered Jacquelina, and tempted her to sidle cautiously up to the professor, slip her arm through his arm, and whisper, "'Thurston, come! Jump in the sleigh and go home with us. We shall have such a nice time. Old Grimm has gone to Leonardtown and won't be home till tomorrow.' "'Has he, minion? By St. Judas, you are discovered now. I have now full evidence of your turpitude. By all the saints, you shall answer for it fearfully,' said the professor, between his clenched teeth, as he closed his arm upon Jacqueline's arm and dragged her toward the sleigh. "'Ha, ha, ha! Oh, well, I don't care. If I mistook you for Thurston, it is not the first mistake I ever made about you. I mistook you once before for a man,' 
said Jacko defiantly. He thrust her into the sleigh already occupied by Mrs. Waugh and Marian, jumped in after her, and took the seat by her side. "'Why, I thought that you set out for Leonardtown this afternoon, Dr. Grimshaw,' said Mrs. Waugh coldly. "'You may have jumped to other conclusions equally false and dangerous, madam.' "'What do you mean, sir?' "'I mean, madam, that in conniving at the perfidy of this unprincipled girl, your niece, you imagined that you were safe. It was an error. You are both discovered,' said the professor doggedly. Henrietta was almost enraged. "'Dr. Grimshaw,' she said, "'nothing but self-respect prevents me from ordering you from this sleigh. I advise you to let self-respect, or any other motive you please, still restrain you, madam. I remain here as the warden of this pretty creature's person until she is safely secured.' "'You will at least be kind enough to explain to us the causes of your present words and actions, sir,' said Mrs. Waugh severely. "'Undoubtedly, madam,' having, as I judged, just reasons for doubting the integrity of your niece, and more than suspecting her attachment to Mr. Wilcoxon, I was determined to test both. Therefore, instead of going to Leonardtown, to be absent till to-morrow, I came here, posted myself at a favourable point for observation, and took notes. While here, I saw enough to convince me of Jacquelina's indiscretions. Afterward, leaving the spot with lacerated feelings, I drew near her. She mistook me for her lover, thrust her arm through mine, and said, "'Dear Thurston, come home with me.' "'Oh, you shocking old thigh for shame! I said no such thing! I said, Thurston, come, jump in the sleigh, and go home with us.' "'It makes little difference, madam. The meaning was the same. I will not be responsible for a literal report. You are discovered.' "'What does that mean? If it means you've discovered that I mistook you for Thurston Wilcox, and you ought to walk on thrones the rest of your life.' You never got such a compliment before, and never will again. Ay, go on, madam, you and your conniving aunt. Dr. Grimshaw, if you dare to say or hint such impertinence to me again, you shall leave your seat much more quickly than you took it, said Mrs. Waugh. We shall see, madam, said the professor, and he lapsed into sullenness for the remainder of the drive. But, oh, there was one in that sleigh upon whose heart the words of wild Jacko had fallen with cruel weight. Marion. End of chapter 21. Recording by Amanda Friday.